program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Devin Thorpe. Now, Devin and I have a long, ongoing fight. You know what our fight is, Devin, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's our fight? It's over. Who's the greatest human? Because you are. No, no, Devin, Devin. Because ever since, Devin, maybe I just can't even have you on my podcast if you disagree with my version of how this fight goes down. (laughs) So Devin is always doing good. And so I don't even remember how it started, but one day I was like, he was something about being a good human. And I was like on some mountain west national speaker association thread i was like well that's easy that's devin thorpe (laughs) and then you're like no and then you kept nominating all these other people to be the best human and i'm like see it's devin thorpe and then a bunch of other people were agreeing so i think it was kind of established but we keep fighting back and forth about it you are a great human being lita you are a truly great human being but you an honor to be with you 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 are a great human being so (laughs) you're too kind (laughs) You're too good. Um, you have lived in the Mountain West for for your whole adult life, right? Um, not quite, uh, but um, I have lived in other places as an adult for about seven years. Okay, uh, and but and other places as a not adult for about three years. But I spent. 40 plus years in Utah. Yeah. And at one time, correct me if I'm wrong, you had the, not the number two, not the number three, but the number one podcast in all of Utah, which I feel like Utah's a big place for podcasts. Yes. It was not my podcast, though. I wish it were. It was my Twitter account. I had the most active, engaged, followed Twitter account in Utah for a short time. That is, hey, it was number one. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You were recognized in our local newspaper. I remember and I was like, what? That's my friend, Devin Thorpe. He's the greatest human, you know? (laughs) And no one on your Twitter disagreed with me. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a number one Twitter. So I I don't tweet because there's, um, I'm afraid that if I did, I would be tweeting all the day long. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I have that problem. problem. (laughs) Now, why did you, are you still tweeting? Yes, I stay uh, quite active on Twitter. Um, I'm not even sure that the guy who was tracking that tracks it anymore. So you're Um, probably still number one. But but there's kind of a, I did kind of upset the Twitter apple cart a little bit uh, when I ran for Congress. Some of my Um, old friends were a little bit, not cool with that. And then um, some of my new friends in the Twitter sphere are really disappointed when I tweet something about that isn't political. 
<laughs> so I'm kind of stuck in this world where I've got yeah. two groups of friends that aren't happy with the conversations that I'm having. <laughs> well, and politics are so hard because you're like, yeah. you'll say a word and one group of people interpret the word one way, another group of people interpret it another way. And then so there's 25 hard. other groups of people who interpret a different way. And yet everything has to be delivered in sound bites. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. politics in our country have have not, I think it's fair. A lot of people agree. Politics in our uh, country haven't been worse since uh, the civil war. And yeah. that has scary implications. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of good people are trying in thoughtful ways to help bring an end to that. Um, but it's challenging. It's really challenging. Uh, it is. And it's almost become, speaking as a religious person, it's mm -hmm. almost become like a religious fervor, different ideologies or concepts. And, and I almost yeah. hate calling it ideologies because that sounds minimizing from the start, you know, yeah. but yeah. Um, I, I knew, I knew that once we got sex into politics, that it wasn't going to go anywhere good. I'm like, why does, why does this matter? And I remember my, I was pregnant with my son and mm -hmm. I was like, it's just none of our business. What consenting adults are doing just yeah. like, and people were like, well, it's probably hard for you to understand being in a, you know, what they would now call a heteronormal relationship, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, but I'm yeah. like, it's just, it's just never going to go anywhere because you're literally telling someone you have to love differently and that's just yeah. not going to work. It, it's just really hard to have those political conversations. But, you know, I maintain my old passion for, you know, solving big problems. You know, we've got a lot of people in this world uh, and I've you've engaged with me helpfully on trying to help uh, change things with respect to poverty and and uh, global health issues. You and I have worked together on some of those things, yeah. but those are important. And I'm passionate, too, about climate change. And and, you know, these are really big problems. And I remain convinced that yes, policy and politics is part of trying to how we figure out how to address these things. Those things have to be talked about. And sometimes those are difficult questions to wrestle with. But it's also important for us to remember that there's a whole other side to how we go about these things that have nothing to do with politics and policy, right? It's right. it's what you and I as human beings do. It's what well, nonprofit organizations speech. do. Yeah. And yes, you alluded to our, our religious faith. And yes, religions are engaged in these things in some ways. And so it really, there are a whole lot of things that we can do to address these things, many of which are not controversial, right? Um, I don't know. It feels like more and more things are becoming controversial. Um, you know, a little, little background on you and I, mm -hmm. you are involved with the Kiwanis Club and you were collecting things to the Native Americans. And I was like, you needed a location in South Jordan. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I have a house in South Jordan. I yeah. can help with that. And I put it out on social media and I don't know if I expressed this to you or not, but people kept telling me, Lita, you've got a lot of following. You should, you know, become a seven figure coach or you should do da, 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 da. And I'm like, I'm willing to do some coaching, but no, I don't want to like, I'm just like, no. And basically I realized I had a, a, for lack of a better metaphor, I had a loaded gun and I could figure out where to point that. Yeah, and it was yeah. in this, in this analogy, it was a good thing. It was a good yeah, thing, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. And um, so maybe that's a bad, 
I had a car right. full of gas and <laughs> I, right. I, I, I had to go somewhere. I had yeah. to go somewhere. And so I'm like, what's worthy of, you know, pulling the trigger? What is worthy of using that influence? So when I put out on social media and my porch was overflowing and my garage yeah. became overflowing, I was like, wait a minute. I had, and then through the whole process, I contacted my sister who is a teacher who lives on the reservation. I was like, yay, you know, this is so fun. We have this thing that we're doing. And I just said, it kills me, Jerry, that there's so many of your neighbors that don't have running water. And she was like, "Uh uh-huh. And for those who are not familiar with the native American community, they're not very effusive with their words. So when Jerry and I get together, it's typically like me being like, and she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, you know? Yeah. And she's educated. She's, you know, yeah, she's just like me. Yeah. Just, you know, a little bit more stucco, right? Yeah. yeah. And she's like, well, I don't have running water. And I was like, what? Yeah. You know, such this humbling moment for me in my four bathroom house to think of my sister who just like me is working, living in this country, doesn't have access to running water because she's chosen to go back to the reservation and get back to her community. So I'm like, okay, do you have what you need? And long story short, um, I end up doing um, humanitarian packages for 153 families, completely overwhelmed, thinking I couldn't do it. And it worked. So I'm like, okay, trying to be as cool as Devin. <laughs> Way cooler. Um, Way cooler. Yeah, well, so um, I'm in the process of working to become 5013C, but you're an integral part of helping me see a way that I could be in a targeted way. Yeah. Do something for good that didn't just evolve policy, as you're saying. But using my influence, and this is something that I know you have been very aware of for a long time, because you have interviewed on your podcast, um, luminaries such as Lita Green and Bill Gates. I'm just (laughs) Lita Green and Bill Gates, like equal luminaries. No, 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 no. I I wanted you to laugh when I said that. But, you know, you have interviewed people who make a difference. You interviewed me at the time on my work for sexual abuse prevention. But you've interviewed people specifically in how do we tackle the big problems? How many people have you interviewed? Uh, it's over 1,300 now. I, I, I kind of fixated on it's more than 1,200, but now it's a, quite a bit more than 1,200. Right. So we're so 2,000. Um, <laughs> you know, not there. I, I'm pretty sure it's not 2,000 yet, but it's a okay, lot. Okay. Well, yeah, something, right? Of specifically in this space of how do we attack or solve or resolve? And I don't think the point is that we only work on this if we can solve the problem. It's, but how can we do what we can? Yeah, it's really, it's a conundrum, uh, you know, how to approach nonprofit work, socially, social impact work, whatever we want to call it, but trying to fix things because I think it's really important for us to look at problems as if they can be solved, but it's also important to recognize sometimes problems take a long time and, and there's, so there's a tug and a, a pull there, kind of a push and a pull maybe, uh, because it's important to recognize both sides of that. From a, from a like with my Rotary Club, uh, you know, I, I like to point out that that 
in addition to taking on really big projects that will take decades to finish, it's important to do uh, three kinds of projects um, to keep, you know, Rotary Club members, have, you know, doing the work. Of and I said service. Kiwanis Club, so I apologize. But they do the same kind of thing. It's not. Yeah, it's but not you were very club. gracious and not correcting me, so I'm correcting myself. <laughs> Rotary right. Club, thank yeah. you. But but you know, I, I tell people we've got to do work that gets us face to face with the people we serve because you know what our big Rotary project is eradicating polio, and right. most of us never see anyone that is at risk of getting polio, and so preventing polio spread doesn't feel very personal. So I think we got to get face to face sometimes. Um. Polio is something that, that Rotary has been working on now for 40 years. Mm. So one of the things that I like to say is Rotary clubs need to tackle projects they can finish, right? And it's good for everybody. I mean, all nonprofits to sometimes think about, well, you know, yeah, we ought to do some things that we can start to finish in a week, a month, a year, but whatever, so that there's a really finite nature to it. So that there is a photo op at the end where we take a picture and we say, yay, we did it. And then uh, a third one is that we need to do projects sometimes as, you know, volunteers and otherwise that are fun. Right. And so right. I think about, you know, the, like going down to Southern Utah or down to Mexico or to Africa, sometimes these the service vacations are a really popular thing to do. And there's good reason for that. Uh, and there's some trouble. We can think about but some of the problems with it, but the, it, you know, it's a good thing to be doing to do some service that has a fun aspect to it. Well, I mean, there are problems, yes, because there's a little bit of the, um, you know, we're coming from America to solve your problems. Yeah. But one of the great things about it is it's expanding your worldview. Yes. And it was expanding my worldview that made me so distressed that in America we had people without running water. Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've become accustomed to running water. Yeah. And if you go on these service missions, realizing it's really for you. Yes. I think that can help mitigate a lot of the problems. That yeah, you're, you're, you make a really good point. And uh, when we go with that attitude that this is so I can learn, so I can see, but you do something there that, you know, the locals guide you to do that's helpful. That can be a win-win. Right, but not going in with your worldview yeah. and ideology. Right. Let me I think you. Afghanistan taught us that that is going to blow up in your face. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think yeah. we all agree. Afghanistan that, is such a tragedy. Things are just getting worse and worse there every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on it, but I follow it loosely. And and yeah, the humanitarian crisis that is unfolding there uh, is just horrendous. You well, know, I mean, the, everything is I mean, just collapsing. The main issues is we were bringing in Western ideals. And I think we all agree that not beating your wife or marrying off young girls or killing gay people is a really, really good thing. These are yeah. very <laughs> essential to American ways of I doing, yeah. but you're dealing with not to demonize this group or religion. They just have a different worldview and they are yeah. not flexible on these things. And yeah. we need to let them do it because now look, Saudi Arabia getting to dictate their own policy have eventually gotten to where women can drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
they're still not exactly the bastion no. of freedom well, for I mean, women still, by our standards, but they're uh, still killing gay people, which I'm very against. Um, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll join you in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we- anyone in our world, but is that's the thing is that we get so knowing that we're correct. I mean, you could never convince me that killing someone for having a different sexual orientation is okay. You could never convince me of that, but just like you couldn't transport me back in time and drop me in Memphis, Tennessee in, you know, and be like, Hey guys, you're going to feel really stupid in the history books later for all the slavery stuff. You know, they would have killed me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that modern lens that we judge with is not just guilty through time, but through cultures culture yeah yeah it's it's a challenge it's a challenge but you're right when we do these service missions if we do it as you suggest with an idea of i this is an opportunity for me to learn and to serve at the direction of someone else in a way that's helpful to them we take that attitude with us it really can be win-win right and i like how you're saying you've hit that twice with the direction of you know the locals yeah, it, it really is important. And, and there are some organizations that really do a good job of that. Uh, what are some that you recommend? I really like um, A Child's Hope. Um, we've we've had Kent White on here. Okay. Um, they go in and work with orphanages. Are there some other charities you want to call out? That well, you- th- there are many, many, but one of the one of the favorites that uh, you may want to learn more about is uh, Choice Humanitarian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Choice has taken the most sophisticated, thoughtful approach to understanding how to do this work in the ways you're describing uh, of anyone I've seen. Uh, and, and they're making tremendous po- progress on eradicating poverty in the country of Nepal. Um, it is conceivable that in this decade, largely because of their work, that will happen. And they're trying to take wow. that model and apply it in other places in Africa and Latin America and, and with some success. Uh, well, and, and Nepal is a country that, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the country that, um, you know, their, their government does not have the ability to do a lot of the things because there aren't policies in place and there's a different culture uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a challenged yeah. low-income country, uh, and of course the, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, these are they're all complex issues. Uh, you know, the great one of the great things that I love is that uh, in about the year two thousand, leading up to that. Uh, the United Nations community of NGOs and others in the thoughtful world began to think about uh, setting goals uh, around making the world a better place. Uh, now, and haven't they you spoken the... at the UN? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've spoken a couple of times. Not what? At... Oh, wait, did everyone catch that? Wait, <laughs> silence for the person in the back. I've spoken there a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at conferences, yeah. And yeah so, you know. But it's, but it's, um, but that community in, in leading up to 2000 set what are called the Millennium Development Goals. And they were for goals to achieve over a 15 year period of time. And so in 2015, uh, they sort of did a reassessment to see how we're doing. And they began to then focus on what are the next generations. So then they, they've called them the Sustainable Development Goals. 
They're often abbreviated the SDGs. You've probably heard that. And but the the goal now is to essentially eliminate extreme poverty uh, by 2030. Now, COVID is really making this a problem for the first time in decades. It's been decades since we've really seen this set kind of setback that people, the number of people in the world living in extreme poverty is increasing for the first time now, in decades. What are some of the steps? Because, you know, um, I was listening to something recently. I've been, um, I like to listen to history podcasts and I mm-hmm. am up to the 1600s on the history of China. Yeah. So not a little podcast here. Right. You know, right. It's taken me some time and there, the worldview of China is so different from our own, where the American or Western idea is every individual has value. And so we can see where, you know, strike out into the West and make, you know, um, obviously has been problematic for the Native American people in the way of that, <laughs> yeah. to say it lightly. Um, but how do you, how does this, these organizations want to take on eliminating poverty when billions of Chinese are in extreme poverty and their government, their whole entire history does not prize the value of individuals. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and this is one of the, the great examples of how this works. So in, in China, where there are about 1.3 billion people, if, and it's been a huge population country, obviously, for a long time, which is why they had the one child policy for a long time. But um, from about 1980 to about 2010, uh, China moved about 600 million people out of poverty, uh, out of extreme poverty. So so now uh, there are relatively few people living in, in extreme poverty in China. Okay, uh, so what's defined as extreme poverty? So we're talking about people who are living on less than $2 a day, don't have access to uh, running water or a toilet. Uh, uh, those are good signs of extreme poverty. Um, so so the good news is we're making great progress. Uh, the, the, the problems persist mostly in South uh, Asia, in India, and then in Africa. Uh, not that there aren't people living in extreme poverty elsewhere, even in the United States. Um, it, it's a complex issue. But, but by and large, the progress has been made, I think, on several fronts. It isn't just one, and everybody likes to argue over which one it is. And it, the fact is, I think it's all, not, not some. So it's NGOs, large and small doing great work is a key part of this. Uh, And so some people say, because there are any poor people left, that that hasn't worked. uh, Poppycock. Poppycock. Well, first of all, through the history of mankind, more people are living at a higher standard of living. Right now than ever. Than ever, ever, ever existed. So that's why I get really frustrated when people are like, the world's never been worse. And I'm like, you know that the world existed before you were born, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. have you have you done any anything into history? Like, yeah. it is better than it's ever been. Yeah, in so many ways. In so many ways. It but is. to you people right. who say that NGOs aren't helping, I'd be like, Yeah, well, what, I, I think they really if you do. Took make that a gone. Difference. You're really not looking. Yeah. 
So China has been an interesting case study that makes a case, I think, for, you know, it's kind of a bad word, a couple of bad words, but capitalism and globalization are sometimes accused of being really bad things, uh, in part because they can allow for extreme disparities to exist. Well, I think right. it depends but, what your definition but, of capitalism is, if it's a bad thing. Because right now, I um, I feel like I've heard the definition of crony capitalism, where it's people, aka elites, um, giving backdoor deals. And so it's not really free market. Yeah. So if we're talking about free market capitalism, I'm a fan. If we're talking about the kind of capitalism we have now that exists in America, where yeah. it's people passing power around, which is how is that different than you know, a feudal system of aristocracy, making sure they're keeping the power within the family. Yeah, we're, what we've seen in the last 20 years, I think in the United States is there is a growing tendency to where in some ways we're looking a little bit more like Russian oligarchs. And that's yeah. a little bit scary. Uh, that's very scary. And so I think that's clearly word, not a model that's working for the Russians. Uh, right, but I think when you look at like the word capitalism, you have to dig into what it, what is, you have to get past the word and look at what it's, it actually yeah. is being discussed. Yeah. And so you see people on the right be like, no, free markets are great. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, they yeah. are great. But we're talking about what we've corrupted free markets yeah. to become. We're still calling that capitalism. Right. And so that, you know, trying to figure out how to, to properly regulate markets so that they work efficiently is a challenge. And it's one of those things where, you know, getting back to our discussion that there's these arguments we have and need to have about how to right. best create flourishing, fair, free markets. Uh, and Which so, we also yeah. don't have, and we're printing money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there are lots of important discussions we can have on politics, but, but, uh, and then there's a, there's a growing movement in the world that, that started about 15 years ago. And I'm very excited about this. This is a, a term called impact investing. This grew as a parallel to social entrepreneurship that got its name probably 15 or 20 years before that. Um, but this idea of using enterprise and business with an explicit social mission to try and solve problems. Uh, is certainly gaining traction and, and investing in those kinds of companies and projects is really working to help, uh, in a way, adjust capitalism, uh, but leverage it so that we are applying the best lessons and the best tools of capitalism and even globalization to help people get better situated. Um, and I one love of the things this. that's because this yeah. lets individuals choose where their dollar is going and think about in your version of capitalism in your life. So the, most of those listening, I'm assuming, are not in extreme poverty because yeah. you have a phone to listen. So you're not um, right that every time we spend a dollar, we can use the system that we live in to choose where we put that dollar. Yeah. Yeah, and so, it's hard, but but more and more people are doing it, and more and people are doing it effectively, and it does make it does make a big difference. Uh, and so, seeing that deployed around the world is clearly clearly a factor, and it's not the biggest because it's the newest of the three that we're talking about. It's the newest factor, but 
but I would say all these things are working to help us continue the trend. One of the things I love to talk about is that when I was born, it's a, it, the records, the data wasn't as clearly kept when I was born in 1965. That's, but, but You're only about, yeah, but about half the people in the world, maybe as much as 60% of the people in the world lived in extreme poverty as I was wow. defining it earlier, right? Uh, you know, on basically no money, weren't eating meals regularly, no food, no water. So, I mean, this is, that was over half the world's population. Wow. Which is why you saw people in the developing world having 12 children, right? Because most of their children didn't live to be five. Right. Right. So the, you had 12, so you could have two adults help you on the farm. Right. Um, it, it and was just- there's also, um, I'm definitely not a fan of the one child policy, you know, not being able to right. choose the size of your family, um, says the girl who had 10 pregnancies, um, you know, to get my two to adults, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously for different reasons than yeah. the poverty. Yeah. I don't like um, people not being able to grow their family, but just as damaging to a woman's health, having had those 10 pregnancies, my womb has paid a price for it. Mm-hmm. I have a degenerative mm-hmm. hip because mm-hmm. of that. And if I lived in a developed country, I probably would have died for sure from all of that. And so having access to women getting to choose birth control is also a sign that has been able to give us, from my understanding, lift a lot of families out of poverty. I love having children. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. But um, being able to not have the mother die in childbirth because she's 42. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as soon as you start creating systems where all the children don't die, mothers begin immediately, immediately to look for ways to reduce the number of children they have uh, Mm -hmm. because they, they don't need 14 kids. They had lots and lots of kids just because they were trying to get those two to adulthood and, or three or whatever. But, but uh, we, we've seen dramatic reductions in birth rates in low-income countries as we create systems to enhance childcare and things. And, and so- And one yeah, of the I, things that's been interesting to me is where we've almost gotten into preaching to young ladies that having children will end their upward mobility in life. And so there's this paradigm of, we didn't have choices in, in your lifetime. Half the world didn't have choices on this. Yeah. Yeah. So to where it's like, Oh, um, one of the NGOs that hired me to go speak in Armenia hired me, <laughs> which it's kind of like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I guess I got an affirmative action on that one. They hired me because I was a mother and a wife oh, and wow. happy about it. Um, I thought I was being hired for my training and my content, but there's a lot of people who could train on entrepreneurism, yeah. but they wanted someone that could be like, you can do this and, and be a mom because that particular NGO does not agree that um, the extreme of child, um, you know, that um, we should have child prevention instead of abortion as our form of birth control is my personal yeah, opinion. Yeah. And that's but, an exportation of a Western ideal instead of yeah. 
um, empowering because having an abortion is really hard on your body, on your womb too. So just yeah. let's, let's pass out more IUDs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are some great pregnancy prevention programs in the world that work really well, that preserve women's health, protect all their options for childbearing, are respectful to women and their good judgment. Right. And, and I think it, it is important to celebrate motherhood, just as you're s- suggesting. Um, and there is a tendency on, on the extremes for people on both sides to vilify women who make different choices. And it's absurd. It is. It is. It's absurd. If women don't want to have kids and they want to have a career, why should they be forced? And on the other hand, if they want to have six kids or 10 kids and they just love mothering, why should we ever make fun of someone who is willing to expand and, you know, devote that love and attention? It's silly to argue about that. Uh, Because then we're getting into the same argument of arguing with people over their sexual choices. Yeah. It's personal and you're not personal space. And you know, it's personal and it's spiritual, right? I mean, you're never going to convince me that I shouldn't be with Nathan green, you (laughs) know, like that's never going to happen. And so if the government came in and said, you know, we have a shortage of uh, whatever. And they're like, you no longer get with Nathan green. I would die on that Hill. Right. And so I just assume when we get into somebody else's bedroom, that they too will die on that hill. So the best thing to do, agree ideologically or not, is to give people choices. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I do think uh, bottom line, you know, when I was born, over 50% of the population of the world lived in extreme poverty. There were about 3 billion people on the planet then. So about a billion and a half people lived in extreme poverty, maybe more. Okay. And today it's fewer than a billion and it's almost down to about, ten, it's down to about 10% of the world's population. Again, I don't have the latest numbers. With I've COVID. actually it's, heard something like that recently. It was like, it was almost 90% from what I remember yeah. hearing. So I, I knew that number you were coming up to, but the 1 billion, because I, I just assuming that it would be more people in poverty because of population growth, but yeah. that we are still lowering the, the number of individuals. Yeah. So the, in poverty. Yeah, the, the absolute number of people in poverty has declined during my lifetime, even as the population has nearly tripled. So it, we are making great progress and there is reason for us to be hopeful. Um, you know, there are lots of good reasons for us to argue about a lot of different things in the world, but but we can and should be celebrating the fact that COVID years aside, we are making great progress on, a, on eradicating poverty. And I'm hopeful that COVID um, is coming to a quick end, that uh, I'm hoping that this Omicron variant will serve as a, you know, to put it in a, 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 a weird way, it's sort of the vaccine of the unwilling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The vast majority of people in the world within the next few months will have either been vaccinated or they will have had COVID. I I actually signed up, Devin, for the study. I was one of the 30,000 people that was like, yeah, sure. Put it in my arm. Let's do it. Yeah, Thank you. You I appreciate you willing your willingness to do that. They needed um, they needed um, kids um, over 12 and under 18. Mm -hmm. So I went to my daughter and I said, look, do you want the pandemic to end. She's like, yeah. Yeah. And so I presented it to her as, would you like to be one of the people that help with this? 
because I knew that doctors were willing to do it. And I've been really watching this because I have an autoimmune. So, um, my daughter, and then I, she was like, yeah, I want to be one of those people. And I was like, oh, and by the way, they'll pay you. And I was a little bit distressed that she was like, yes. So that was an example of capitalism right there. <laughs> yeah, back right? to capitalism. Yeah. Not all bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we got, but, we got your you daughter know, she, to, to be a test. She's really subject. proud that she got to be a part of yeah. that. And then they said they needed people with autoimmunes and I had just gotten my oxygen levels stable. So I was really happy that I could do that, but I'm really against them mandating it. For the same reasons that I'm against them mandating what we do in the bedroom. Because if you want to, um, you know, you get to live the consequences of your life. And um, I think what's really sad is how politics made a medical issue, a political issue by making the unvaccinated, the scapegoats. And Omicron just took that whole entire argument away by being like, if you're vaccinated or not, you're going to get this. You're going to be exposed. You're going to pass it. And I heard a virologist that I follow saying, this is, this is God's gift because it is just like what you were saying. It's, it's vaccinating everybody. It's going to stoop to the population and thankfully not as deadly as the original variants. Yeah. I think the the deadliness perception may just be because of the the vaccinated folks didn't get nearly as sick. The unvaccinated did get quite sick, well, but, like, but like, the majority, the vast majority of people, even in the United States have been vaccinated. Like 80% have been vaccinated fully or 70% have been vaccinated fully and 80% have had at least one shot. Right, so right. a lot of people have been walking around with some immunity and, and, and yes, many got sick, but not like you say, not nearly as sick as the... And- Sadly, because each of these people are, are loved and cherished by their families, but most of those that passed were, um, obviously there's exceptions, um, but were, you know, elderly, you know, like over 65, 70, which is still too, way too young to die. But, um, it's, it's, uh, way better than the, the last pandemic or Ebola that had like a 90% kill rate. Yeah. Yeah. Ebola is nasty. Kills about half the people who get it. Uh, Smallpox or the black death. We're always going to have it, but we're not going to um, be having. We shouldn't be a pandemic again. Well, I know a lot of people who, um, you know, people talk to me uh, that were unvaccinated and chose to be unvaccinated because they didn't like that the government was telling them they had to. Yeah. And I'm like, you got to look at this. You got to look at that. And they were coming back to me with political things. I listen to the white house press briefings because I'm weird and that they didn't like how they were being pushed against. Yeah. It's, it's just horrible the way that became uh, politicized, but you know, it it does exemplify in some way, some of the important discussions that have to be dealt with on policy levels. Um, You know, when you talk about vaccine mandates, it's easy to, to see the problem with requiring people to get a jab uh, against their will, but it's also not crazy to think about the implications of people who are exposed and that who they might expose, right? The spread of the disease is, you know, so it's, I think those are important policy decisions. Yeah. Well, like and- smallpox. You know, it's required to get those kinds of vaccinations 
in the yeah, school. Yeah, not smallpox right? anymore, but but lots um, of lots of shots like okay, I get, yellow yeah, fever right. and malaria and right. things. When you travel abroad, you're going to have to. Yellow fever is the I think the best example. There are a lot of countries that require that you have proof that you've had a yellow fever shot in the last decade to to get in, and so there there are you know these are tough there's, policy there's a, decisions yeah. that that actually have to be discussed and they're painful to discuss. And there are good arguments on both sides on, on and a I lot of And I think it issues. goes back to the whole soundbite issue that if we, if we can figure out a way to give critical information without it being political. Yeah. And um, how do we do that when the people that speak for the government are political, yeah. right? Um, And there's a tendency in both parties, and I apologize, I'm interrupting you, but there's a tendency in both in both parties equally to send out uh, fundraising and other emails to their partisans accusing the other side of being evil. And so it's no longer a question of do we disagree with the folks on the other side about what the marginal tax rate ought to be on people who earn between $175,000 and $250,000 a year. No, now it's they're evil because they don't agree with us on what the marginal tax rate on people earning between $175,000 and $200,000 a year ought to be. And it's just absurd to think that there's that you're evil because you don't agree with the marginal tax rate on people earning between $175,000 and $200,000 a year. Well, we I have don't. a... I have a personal policy, you know, I call no othering. I even mention it in the letter for you to be on this podcast, um, because once we other people, we dehumanize them. Yes. And um, once we dehumanize people, then it's really easy to be like, well, let's, you know, slaughter them in the night or yell a star on them. It is. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly where that goes. And uh and it's scary. And if we're all doing it, we're we're making a situation that is already tense, potentially violent. And and that's yeah. scary. We got to stop doing it. We have so, to stop doing it. One of the things that I've been doing, this is a little bit of a jerk of me, Devin. <laughs> but mm-hmm. during the pandemic, when people are like, Oh, can you believe those people? And then the, on the opposite side, can you believe those people? I would say, you know, I have a question for you. And they'd be like, Okay, because I'm delightful. So I get to get yeah. away with certain questions. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I would say, if you were living in Nazi Germany, would you have turned in your Jewish neighbor? And without exception, whatever political side people are on, they're like, no, no, I would not do that. And I'm like, but what if they were fill in the blank, what they just demonized? Yeah. And they'd be like, well, and I'm like, no, listen, listen to the thoughts in your head right now. Yeah. Right. And they'd be like, you just said this group of people is bad. What if what if we substitute that group name for Jews and ask yourself the same question? If the government's coming to get them and they're going to kill them, do you turn them in because you don't like them? Because the truth of the matter is there's a great book called In the the Garden of the Gods, and it's about the American ambassador to um, Germany as the outbreak of World War Two. And he was not a really good communicator. And people didn't really like him. And they sent him there because it was kind of considered an assignment. Uh And so he's like, look, guys, we've got a really serious problem. Things are really brewing here. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, look, they are beating up Jewish people. And they're like, maybe we should do that in this country. The truth is that um, the hatred of anti-Semitism was accepted. 
Yes. It and was... it wasn't until the images of what had happened in the Holocaust became clear to us that yeah. anti-Semitism died. What's sad is it didn't, there, they also housed, um, you know, people died in the Holocaust were also, you know, gay people, gypsy people, religious people, you know, yeah. one and of my ancestors. people who had uh, intellectual deficits and mental right. illness. And, yeah. You know, and, and even here in, uh, in like in the United States, we were doing a lot of those same ideas had real traction here in the United States. Well, we had Japanese time. internment camps. Yes. And so we had the Japanese, that's a great And then we example. weren't we starving had, them to death. And we were at that time. Justification that it was okay. <laughs> it was very common in that period to uh, sterilize women who were not right in the head in one way or another in other situations. And so we weren't murdering them. We were, we were at that time sterilizing them much, much better. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, for crying out loud. So yes, uh, sadly, uh, sadly, we were not a great noble country uh, devoid of bad attitudes and bad behaviors that, you know, saved Western Europe from evil Germans. In fact, it, it was, you know, we were just marginally better and came on the side of the angels on that one. But uh, well, we yeah, got pulled into that war. Yeah. And I, I find myself often being like, I kind of like that. <sighs> you know, we need to be in less war. Yeah. You know, like Afghanistan. Did we really have business being there? Vietnam, a lot of different things, but it's yeah. these proxy wars and we all get sucked into it. And now we're on the brink of, are we going to go to war with Ukraine? I mean, oh my to gosh, protect Ukraine. Horrible? And I'm just like, have we learned nothing, you know? So, okay. Cause you and I could talk forever and I we definitely could. feel like we should have be you fun. on again, because I do love yeah. you, Devin. I <laughs> wanted I to point out something to the listeners that in some ways you and I probably are in the political, same political group. And in some ways we're not. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have common things and we have things that maybe are not so common, but what's important is that we respect each other. And so we can find where the common ground is. And I yeah. think if enough people sit and have conversations even if they're like, oh, there's a D or an R or whatever, because I don't really know what political family I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, but I'm registered as a Republican because in Utah, you get a vote in the, the primaries. You know, there's yeah. there's a about maybe about 12 years ago, I kind of didn't feel Republican, but I have more say in Utah because it tends to go Republican to to register that way. You know, yeah. you know, I feel conflicted about it. But the point is. Yeah. <laughs> We have different letters behind our name and yet we respect each other immensely. And that's because we've had these kinds of conversations and um, I would encourage people. And I know you're with me, Devin. Yes. That if there was someone you find a, a repulsion or a, um, a disagreement, or you catch yourself being like, well, they call them up and have a conversation on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Start engaging and thinking and figuring out what their worldview is, because that's what makes all these things so complicated is it involves people. And once we forget that it involves people, then we're being authoritarian and dictators in our own mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, being involved in the community in, in almost any way 
you know, volunteering with a nonprofit, joining a Rotary Club or a Kiwanis Club or whatever gives you an opportunity to, you know, plant trees with people you don't agree with and, yeah. or, you know, fill no, I mean, food boxes I think you or whatever it is. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's great. I remember I, I was volunteering at the food bank and I fell into this pattern of going down there somewhat regularly for a while. And I realized when I went as an individual, they always put me in with the people who were there uh, because they were doing court ordered community service. And so I was spending time regularly with people who had been, typically it was a DUI, right? So they were, uh -huh. uh, and so I was getting to know a whole new group of people. And, you know, it was really good for me to get to know a whole new group of people. Uh, and, and they loved, I never heard one of them complain about volunteering at the food bank. They all loved the work we did as volunteers at the food bank. They loved it. I think that is the best to, to end this podcast down that be, be of service, find a way to serve. If you, if you think there's a problem with the world, go find somewhere to serve in it and we can make yeah. our corner better. And heck, we might even find a way that we can uh, point our car, pull the trigger or whatever in a direction <laughs> right. to affect right. more than just our immediate community. But if we start there, um, our worldview improves. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, totally Devin, agree. I think you're awesome. And I get the last word on my podcast. <laughs> you're an awesome woman. Thank so, you. <laughs> thank you for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. Thank you. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.